Welcome to Citizens Midweek. It's a podcast for our church family where we take a deeper look at this week's sermon. I'm your host, Diego Kirby, and today on the podcast, I'm joined by our pastor, Tim Olson. Here we go. we're doing one of these podcasts for our church. So why don't you tell us what the goal is? What are we after? Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So we uh, kind of two main reasons why we want to do this podcast. The first is one of our goals as a church, uh, really the central goal uh, is dictated a lot by Colossians 1. So in Colossians 1 28, Paul says that we proclaim Christ warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, with the goal being that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so one of our goals as we teach, as we do anything with content, as we talk about the Bible, as we disciple one another in our groups, all of that, we want to help each other be mature and grow up in Christ Jesus. And so we saw this as another outlet to get to do that, to get more uh, just theology and equipping and practical application uh, in front of our church family. The second one was we just noticed for over the past uh, six, seven months of preaching that consistently when we meet on Wednesday mornings as a teaching team and we talk through the sermon and the outline and the content, that there's always stuff that we want to talk about from the past passage. There's, there's so much in God's word. And we also don't want to preach two hour sermons because I'm pretty right. sure that, that no one would come back if we always preach two hour sermons. Uh, and so because of length and because of just wanting to always hit on a central theme and a central idea from the scriptures, there's always really good stuff that gets cut out. And so we just said, Hey, what if we, instead of just, you know, putting that stuff on a back burner for another sermon in a year, what if we just get that in front of our people and we talk about it and we have an opportunity to share some of what gets cut that's good and biblical and true, but maybe doesn't serve what we're trying to do in, in that week's sermon. Yeah, that's right. There's a ton of stuff week to week that we could say and a ton of stuff that we might say about any given passage. But if we talked about everything, we'd be there forever and ever. And we're already meeting before dinner time, which puts us at a significant disadvantage in terms of people attention, people's attentions. <laughs> All of the moms that already dislike us for right. having to be done Button at 16. Bedtime already from the get go. And Nine o'clock bedtime for babies is not right. a good idea. Right. So I thought we would start off um, with just a bit of a recap of what happened this past Sunday. We kicked off our new series, Walking Through the Book of Ephesians. And kind of the big idea of the of the sermon was that um, Tim introduced in the first few verses there um, that Paul really highlights eight spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. So um, we're chosen, we're made holy and blameless, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're part of God's redemptive plan in the world, we're heirs to a forever kingdom, and we are sealed by the spirit. So that was kind of the big idea of the text as we're kicking off this series, um, all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. The one that stuck out to me was under the, the eighth one was that we're sealed by the spirit. And you kind of, it was a funny example, but you talked about the idea of cattle branding, the Texas farm, right? right it's crazy, right. man. It's we're a different world inside picture at the Olson household here. Not the Olson household, the Holt, the Holt family okay, farm. But what's your wife's maiden name? Trip. That's fair. Interesting. <laughs> That's <she>? fair. <laughs> but just the idea that, you know, 
Cowboys, which Tim is a cowboy. Let's marry down that for a second. Um, cow farmers, they, they put their own um, farms brand on their cattle, not just as some, you know, egotistical, this is mine and not yours, but so that they can actually identify the cows that belong to them whenever they wander in other people's fields, whenever they get into places they shouldn't be. It's a way to say, well, this one's mine and this one's not. <laughs> this is a part of my farm, my family, and this one's not. And um, that the Holy Spirit is, is God's seal on us in the same way the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee for us um, that we are a part of God's family um, and I, yeah I just thought that was a really great picture that really stuck out to me but um, Tim what about you what while you were studying or while you were preparing this sermon what kind of particularly stood out to you yeah I mean there was there were a couple things I think just the richness of the passage overall is easy, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, there's so many blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. And really Paul's whole thing in that is that because of that, we bless God, we worship him. Uh, But the one in particular that, that I've just been thinking about a lot. And I talked about this some on Sunday is that reality of being adopted as a son, the reality of that both men and women in the church, we are, our claim is to an inheritance from God that, uh, the the good news of the gospel is not just that he makes us neutral with him or he tolerates us or he is okay with us. Or he's like, all right, if I have to, because of Jesus, but that he actually adopts us into his family. And that means we have all the rights and privileges and inheritance that comes with that. I remember uh, a friend of mine used to tell a story about how they um, they had a few biological children and they adopted a couple um, other children and they were uh, getting ready to go to Disney World. And he was talking about how uh, leading up to their trip, it was the day before one of their adopted daughters had just been really disobedient and she was kind of acting cr- like crazy and wild and, and doing a lot of things. And she uh, the next morning when they were getting ready, they're packing the car. She was nowhere to be found. She was just hiding uh, behind her bed and she was she was crying. And, uh, you know, this guy finally found her and picked her up and said, what's wrong? Why are you so upset? And she said, well, well, I disobeyed you. So now I'm not going to get to go to Disney oh. World. And my friend said that in that moment and you know, just crushed him right. as a dad, you know, for his daughter. Uh, but he said what he told her is, Hey, you are now a part of our family. Well, so that means we don't just take these. We take all of our kids. You are, you are one of our kids and that comes with all rights and privileges and inheritance. So that means to be a kid. And just because you disobeyed and rebelled and, and you know, went against my, my wishes and what I asked you to do doesn't mean you're no longer a part of our family and our family's going yeah. to Disney world. And wow. because you're part of our family, you get to go to Disney world. And, and I love that picture of, you know, we think our sonship before God or his pleasure with us goes up and down based right. on how we're doing that week. Like, yeah, I have his eternal acceptance in Christ, but I don't think about my day to day acceptance in Christ. And that's just a beautiful picture of me of like right now, not just in eternity, but right now I have the fullness of God's pleasure for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Right. Well, yeah, I think even as you were saying that I'm thinking how passively I probably communicate to myself just the idea that God's, you know, the saving work of Jesus puts us on neutral footing with God Mm -hmm. whenever we were in negative standing, (laughs) but it's not just that we were negative and are now passable at best. It's that God delights in us now because we're in Jesus and he delights in Jesus. But just, yeah, God, God delights in those who are his, you know, he delights in the people that he's saved for himself. Yeah.
Anything that got cut or didn't get all the time you wanted to when you were preaching this week? So much. So I had several <laughs> of our, our church family come up to me afterward, like, oh, I love Ephesians 1 because of this. And you didn't right. even talk about it, you know. So uh, Cole and our teaching team just loves that idea of his grace lavished yeah. on us. And there was so much you could talk about there. Um, somebody else talked about, you know, this idea of being divinely favored or blessed. Like there's there's just so much to hit on in Ephesians 1. We honestly, uh, in studying it, one of the first things I saw was that John Calvin, uh, one of the reformers, when he preached through Ephesians at his church in Geneva, Switzerland, that he took 64 weeks to preach through this book. And I thought we have 14. I don't know what we're going to do. So, so much. But one of the ones that I really wanted to hit on was uh, something that I think can just be a sticking point for a lot of people in uh, theology, in churches. Um, and that's just this idea of what does it mean that we are chosen yeah. by God, right? So we we kind of hit on it a little bit in the sermon. I talked a little bit about how, you know, Paul doesn't introduce these categories to bring division or just to have something fun for seminary students <laughs> to debate in their classrooms. I'm a former seminary student. I love seminary. It's not a knock on that, but it's not just ideas to him. Yeah. It's not just thoughts to ponder. It's not just uh, theological categories to think about for fun he introduces this idea, this reality, this truth that we are chosen by the father because he's trying to bring comfort to our souls. Yeah. And he's trying to encourage us. Um, so I thought it'd be a good idea for us just to dive a little bit deeper, you know, first podcast, why not just go for yeah, it and swing the hammer uh, and do a little bit of a deep dive into uh, the doctrine of salvation and soteriology and this whole predestination versus free will thing. Um, so I kind of have four points. Uh, feel free to, to, to jump in at, at cool. any point. Um, Maybe I shouldn't say that. I kind of have four points. Uh, so we'll kind of <laughs> roll through those uh, together. So here's the first thing. Four things that I want us to get correct as we think about this whole predestination versus, f- versus free will. Uh, the first is that I want us to get our Bible correct. So predestination and election are biblical terms, right? We can't just say that they don't exist. Like they're they're in the Bible, word for word, like in, yeah. in the text. So you have uh, just a few examples. Ephesians 1.5, we talked about on Sunday. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. You have Romans 8, 29, where it says that those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. First uh, Peter 1, 1, Peter calls us elect exiles. John 15, 16, we talked about this on Sunday. Jesus says we didn't choose him, but he chose us. So predestination and election are in the Bible. Like they're biblical terms that we have to wrestle with. Yeah, we can't just ignore them because of the presuppositions we bring to the conversation. Exactly. They're yeah. not just theological terms that somebody made up. They're right. in the Bible. Uh, but so is this idea that God holds men responsible for who believes in him and we must choose to believe, yeah. right? So Romans 10, nine, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. There's a, an act, a response in the heart and with verbal proclamation that Jesus is Lord that has to happen uh, in order for you to be saved. I think about second Peter three, nine, right? Where Peter talks about how the Lord is patient, waiting and wanting not just the elect to come to repentance, but all to come to repentance. What do we do with that? And how do we wrestle with those truths? And so what we can't do is we can't just wholesale say, well, this isn't right, or this isn't right. This, this isn't in the Bible, whatever. Like there's, these are biblical categories that we have to wrestle with. Yeah. We want to make sure we have a biblical approach to the categories instead of just writing them off as things that we've deemed controversial. Correct. Correct. I, I was having this conversation with a church, a church member of ours, and he was talking about how um, his pastor growing up used to tell him, don't out theologize your Bible. Right. Right. Like, don't <laughs> have so a theological categories that you then impose on the Bible. Right. Let the Bible dictate your theology. Let the Bible interpret itself. That's just good, good scripture study and good scripture reading. <laughs> So that's the first thing, you know, we have to get uh, our Bible correct. Second, I want us to get our terms and definitions correct. 
So uh, what happens if you're married and if you've married for any length of time, you know that sometimes your arguments aren't actually about the same thing. Sometimes you're <laughs> arguing because you think one thing and they think one thing and you're just missing each other. Yeah. And that can be true sometimes when it comes to this idea of predestination and, and free will. So uh, what happens is people think when they're arguing uh, what's often called Calvinism, the, the predestination reformed position or the Armenian or, or free will position that they're arguing, did God choose us? Or did we choose God? They think that's the debate, right? Did we choose God or did God choose us? But that's not actually the historical debate. Now, this is what people think largely because of some really poor Bible teaching or just some distilling down of trying to get truths out into the pulpit. But the argument's not, do we choose God or did he choose us? The the classical debate between the two positions is more about what comes first, right? Right. So it's it's kind of a classic chicken and egg scenario. What comes first? The chicken or the egg. And so historically, the the predestination, the reformed, the Calvinistic position says that in the order of salvation, what comes first is God's election, that his sovereign and gracious choosing of people to be saved is the very first thing that happens in us being saved. That that is what starts that before the foundation of the world, he chose that that's what starts it. The Armenian or free will position historically says that the choosing happened second, that first God looked out and saw who would respond in faith to him. And then he chose to save those people. So both have a category for God choosing both have a category for some amount of response. The question in debate is not, is it all God or all us? The question is what comes first us or God. I think in both categories, the attempt is to try to distill like this perception of God's personality that they bring to the table before they even engage with the idea a little bit, which is why I think having the right categories and defining the terms of the front end is so important. We don't want to over theologize it. We want to you know listen to it for what it is. Yeah. And I think it also helps us not create caricatures right, of each right. other. Right. So, you know, the the they jokingly refer to as like the cage stage Calvinist. Right. But when someone first learns reformed theology and they just start thinking that everybody who believes in a free will doctrine or position are just stupid. Right. right. They're not reading the Bible. Predestination's in the Bible, the yeah. terms there. And it's like, well, yeah, you're arguing with a straw man. Right. right. And vice versa. Right. For people that believe in free will think that Calvinists are just angry and bitter and hate people. And it's like, no, you're, you have to make sure you're defining labels correctly in terms correctly so you're not arguing with straw men and you're going hey both of these have some amount of biblical precedent that you have to wrestle with right. one way or the other how are you going to read these texts i've had a conversation with a friend who did, who is not reformed and the conversation was kind of just a lot of shock and off like well you're reformed so how do you believe this 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 and this and i was like oh well that's really easy i don't believe those things yeah 100%. you're right like those things are not biblical like the caricatures of this really cold what's what's gosh what's the what's the like the frozen chosen the frozen, the frozen chosen. chosen it's yeah. like this caricature of the frozen chosen that you just lack compassion and grace and mercy towards people because i'm chosen you're not it's like oh well that's an easy thing to to rebut because i don't believe those or you don't care about mission right, you don't care about right. evangelism yeah and then the other side right is just thinking that uh well the free will side just thinks god's powerless right, right? like he's just sitting up there really you know hoping you know chewing his nails hoping that we choose him and it's like no that like he, both he's sides that can call at our whim yeah no. both sides affirm god's power right and god's love, it's just talking about, okay, in the order of salvation, yeah. which comes first. Right. So I think it's important for us to just to, to say, hey, uh, both sides, there are people smarter than us on both right. sides that have read more than us, that have studied more than us. And we'll get to that in a second. We'll talk about yeah. humility. But so that's the second thing I want us to get our terms and definitions correct. Third, I want us to get our history 
correct? Um, so there's kind of two main positions. We've talked around the terms, but there's kind of two main positions, two main camps people like to, to kind of put each other into or themselves into. And that's the Calvinist position and the Arminianist position. So the Calvinist position is named that because of a reformer named John Calvin. John Calvin was uh, part of the Protestant Reformation alongside uh, Martin Luther and Zwingli and some of these other reformers that were trying to reform the Church of England uh, and the Roman Catholic Church at that time. And he was a, a pastor in Geneva in the kind of the early 1500s. And it was his writings and his teachings that really outlined uh, and put into to a tangible way a lot of these kind of doctrines, which is why he kind of gets the credit. Um, the other position is the Arminianist position, and it's named after a guy named Jacob Arminius. Hey, Jacob. <laughs> Jacob, who was a Dutch theologian who was in the late 1500s and wrote a lot in response to John Calvin and wrestled with a lot of like, okay, is this true or not? How do we read this biblically? And so he kind of gets credit for um, the Arminianist camp, Jacob Arminius and uh, John Calvin, the Calvinist camp. But it's important for us to remember, and I think we're guilty of this a lot as Protestants, <laughs> that our church history doesn't start with the 1500s. Right, you right. know, we don't start with Martin Luther nailing 95 Thesis on a door and suddenly now here we are. We've right? started and defined Christianity five centuries ago. <laughs> right. And sometimes we're guilty of that with who we quote and what right. we read and what we talk about. Um, but there's a church history for 1500 years yeah. before John Calvin. Right. So you have all the way back to scripture. Peter, Paul, Jesus, what do they teach? But you also have early church fathers. So you, you know, have Augustine in the the late 300s saying things like predestination is the preparation for grace. Yeah. Right. And you yeah. have him wrestling with Pelagius, who's arguing on the other side that uh, sin doesn't corrupt our nature and it doesn't actually infect the core of who we are, that we just choose bad things. And so we just need to choose the right things. Yeah. So they're arguing about this 250, 300 years after Christ. Yeah. Long before John Calvin. Long before John <laughs> yeah. Calvin. And then you have, you know, the sin Synod of Orange in 529 AD, who's wrestling with a lot of these same things 200 years later about total depravity and the sin nature of man and what is the, the necessity of salvation and just all of these types of things. And then you fast forward even from that 300 years before Calvin and uh, Arminius, you have Thomas Aquinas, right? Who in the 1200s talks about how salvation is too great of a feat for uh, to fall on the leanings of men, right? Where he says, hey, this is too great for it to be based on our whims. Yeah. And so you have a, a church history full of people debating these very same things. Yeah, and trying to come down to a biblical position on all of those things. Correct. Like they, we've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> Correct. And we, you know, I, I was listening to um, Rod Rear, who's, a, who's a, a great author who's written a bunch on culture and the history of the church. And, and he uh, recently in a talk about a year ago said that one of the shortcomings of our generation is how much we like to reject or ignore the past and how much good there is in us looking at church history and going, you know, Ecclesiastes three, there's nothing new under the sun, but to say, okay, these are things that people have wrestled with truths that people have wrestled with for centuries that the church has tried to go. Let's understand God rightly. Think about God rightly. Think about our salvation rightly. Let's not divide over it, right. but let's come together and go, we need to understand salvation and we need to understand what is God doing in history and having a posture of humility to not just go back to Jonathan Edwards in the 1800s, not just to John Calvin in the 1500s, not just to uh, Billy Graham in 1960. Yeah, John Piper 10 years ago, but to go back all the way before that and go, what have the early church fathers even said about this? Um, and then over all of that, right, we don't get our doctrine from church history. We get our doctrine right. from the Bible yeah. and our theology from scripture, which is the only thing that is infallible yeah. and without error because it's the only thing that's actually the word of God. Right. Yeah, it's super helpful.
So with that, uh, just a couple uh, closing thoughts. So, th- so the position that I hold, because I'm sure everyone listening to this is like, so what do we think? Uh, <laughs> the position I hold and that our, our church teaches, uh, and you must have picked up on this, hopefully you picked up on this if you were there on Sunday, uh, is in line with what is commonly referred to as the Calvinistic position. Uh, and so there's so much more to, to Calvinist and Reformed theology than just our doctrine of salvation. Right. It's actually a whole bunch of other things of how we think about church and how we think about uh, elders and how we think about all of these different things. But specifically in regards to our view of salvation, we believe what we read in Ephesians chapter one, that before the foundation of the world, God chose that he predestined or elected or sovereignly chose those who would be saved. And we see this not only because of Ephesians one, but in a a broader understanding of how we view the reality of sin and how the Bible talks about the human heart. So Ephesians two, which we're going to look at on Easter says that our state apart from Christ is dead in sin. That dead people can't make themselves alive, right? We we need a rescuer. We're not simply neutral people who, like Pelagius tried to argue, do some bad things occasionally, but really we just need to choose good. We at our core don't want God, cannot choose God, will not choose God, have not chosen God. Uh, that we don't wake up one morning suddenly, suddenly going, you know, I want to be a Christian today. Yeah. Like, that's just not, right. it's not our state. Our state is an enemy. We're dead in our sin. Um, one of the, the illustrations people like to use is that salvation is like you're drowning in the sea and God throws you a life raft or a life preserver and you just need to grab it. Yeah. And biblically, the position is that you're actually dead at the bottom of the ocean right. and God has to reach down and grab you down yeah. there and make you alive yeah. and breathe life into your spiritual lungs. Um, and so because of that, because we are dead in our sin, scales over our eyes in love with the world. God has to rescue us and he has to make us alive all based on him. And so this is bigger than just how we read one verse, how we read Ephesians one for us. It's a bigger question of how we read the scriptures teachings on the necessity of grace, the sinful nature of man and God's redeeming work. Yeah. Right. I think one of the ways that I heard it talked about that was helpful when I was kind of wrestling with these things was the idea of it's a theological idea of monogism versus synergism. So the idea of, you know, hearts of stone cannot make themselves hearts of flesh in a monogistic sense. God is mono, the one acting party and achieving salvation for us. Um, and that would be kind of the more Calvinist reformed approach, which is that we are hearts of stone. We are dead in our sins and God singularly acted to make us alive in himself versus the synergistic approach, which is a little more of the classical Arminian approach, which is that we were dead in our sin and us responding to the gospel by putting our belief in Jesus is what turned us, you know, saved us and and gave us a heart of flesh and both have their merits. But really for me, it's the idea of like dead people can't make themselves alive. (laughs) You know, God had to do something in my, in my life and in my heart by his spirit to make the gospel be beautiful to me because my natural state was not to consider the gospel. My natural state was to hate God, hate the way of the Bible, hate Jesus so God had to even give me the desire to say yes to the gospel. He had to help, help me see the gospel beautiful. You know, God did it start to finish in us. Yeah. I mean, that's what Jonathan Edwards says, right? He says, the only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Right. 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 Uh, so just, I'll like to caveat too. This is a second tier issue for our church. So we have first tier issues, things that we ask all members to agree on, to hold firm, uh, the gospel of salvation by grace through faith, the inerrancy of scripture, Jesus is God's son, these core tenets of the faith. Uh, second tier issues are we have positions as a church. I mean, we're going to teach this way. We're going to 
lead this way, but there's freedom. If you disagree to, to be a member, to serve, to be a part of our church family, this is not something we want to divide over. This is something we want to practice charity in right. these non-essentials. Um, but that does lead to my, my fourth point. And, and fourth is that I want us to get our posture correct, right? I want us to, to, to say kind of, uh, that leads us to our fourth point. Our fourth point is that I want us to get our posture correct. And there's two specific things I want to say here. The first is I want to say a word to folks who just don't care about this. They think it's just one of those kind of like theological nuances and details and whatever. It has no bearing on life. But this doctrine matters. Yeah. It, it matters to how you think about evangelism, to how you think about world missions, to how you think about salvation, the grace of God, your role in salvation, your role in keeping your salvation like this matters and affects how you live in the family of God, how you live as a, a disciple to Jesus. I love the way John Calvin says it. He says, this great subject is not, as many imagine, a mere thorny and noisy disputation, nor speculation, not just some speculation which wearies the minds of men without any profit, but a solid discussion eminently adapted to the service of the godly, because this is why it says, he says he builds us up, this doctrine builds us up in sound faith, trains us to humility, and lifts us up into an admiration of the unbounded goodness of God towards us, while it elevates to praise this goodness in our highest strains. So he says this is not just just something to argue over. If, if this is just a doctrine that you like to use to puff yourself up or to, to argue over, you're not actually thinking rightly about how much God has done to save you and how little you have done. This doctrine should really humble you it above should. all things. Yes. And that, I mean, that's the second thing, right? It should ground right. us in humility. Right. If, uh, this shouldn't puff us up with pride. This shouldn't elevate. Look how smart I am. I know this thing. What I, like This should be a grounding for I am a sinner in desperate need of a savior and God with no merit of my own, with no desire for him, with no want of him at all said while we were his enemies, he sent his son to die and to rescue us. And that, if that doesn't bring humility, we're not thinking correctly about the doctrine of predestination. And that's, I think that's kind of one of the things I noticed in myself kind of wrestling with this doctrine over the last few years is that it's really affected the way that I pray, (laughs) you know, coming into a right understanding of my own sinfulness, my own inability to join God by my own merits. And yet God choosing to die for us to bridge the gap so that we could be brought into family by his good graces, like that dichotomy of my sinfulness and his righteousness has really affected the way I pray about, you know, my neediness and the need for our church and the need for us to be joined by the spirit. Um, you know, it, it breeds an attitude of humility and thankfulness, not, not this puffery of like, yeah, I'm one of the chosen. I'm, I'm one of God's elect. Um, that it means something so different now, you know, knowing just how incapable we were of achieving that for ourselves. That was great. That was really good. Um, yeah, a couple of things that people want to read more about it. Um, there's a two books I'd recommend. Number one is, is a book called Proof by Dana Montgomery and Dr. Timothy Paul Jones. A really helpful uh, book for me in terms of growing, like you were just saying, humility yeah. towards God, uh, how this actually affects my day-to-day life, my prayer, my scripture reading, all of that. Second one is uh, a book called 50 Core Truths of the Christian Faith by Dr. Greg Allison, where he outlines a ton of doctrines, but, but one of them is he goes into this doctrine of election and uh, just in a really winsome, helpful way for the church. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put a link to those books in the show notes below. Yeah, that's really great. Anything else you want our church to know? 
No, I'm, I'm really excited for this podcast. I'm really excited for this series. Uh, my encouragement would be to really lean in on the first half of the book. So the first half of the book is very uh, heady. It's very theological. It's very rich, but it, it's very, it just is a lot. And so uh, there can be a temptation to go, I'm just going to wait for the practical. I'm going to wait for chapters four through six, where he talks about marriage and sex and uh, jobs and parenting and all of that. But if we don't really get a deep foundational understanding of the gospel in right. chapters one through three, then chapters four through six, are going to feel like uh, unnecessary commands. Right. They're going to feel like cold and sterile burdens instead of a rich gospel outpouring of God's design for a, a difficult, a hard, but a flourishing life. Yeah, that's really helpful. It's helping us build the foundation so that we're not just becoming works righteous legalists down the road thinking we have to do the right things. Cool. Well, Tim, uh, thanks for joining me. Excited for this podcast. Uh, we'll see you next time. Sounds good.